are listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Elder Law Answers is the leading provider of web-based practice development tools for elder law attorneys. We help firms reach clients with tools designed by elder law attorneys for elder law attorneys. I'm Rebecca Hobbs, the National Director of Elder Law Answers and a practicing elder law attorney in the Philadelphia area. In each episode of Elder Law Answers for Attorneys, we will chat with leading experts in the field of elder law, marketing, and practice development. Welcome to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Today, I am excited to be continuing my discussion with Tipa Snow, and we're going to be discussing communication strategies for attorneys when representing or interviewing a client with dementia. So welcome, Tipa. It's good to be back. So Tipa Snow is one of the world's leading advocates and educators for anyone living with dementia. Her philosophy is reflective of her education, her work, experience, medical research, and firsthand caregiving experience. So her organization, Positive Approach LLC, was founded in 2006 and offers person-centered training opportunities in, across the United States, in Canada, Australia, and in the UK. Um, so Tipa, in our last podcast, we kind of delved into the different types of dementia. We talked a little bit about some of the screening tools um, and ways to know if our clients have received a good workup, a good assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a little bit about how the different dementias and how they, they impact us as legal professionals. But I wanted to talk a little bit today about, you know, attorneys interacting with clients that may have dementia. And, you know, oftentimes we have to explain these complex topics to our clients. And a lot of attorneys are not good at speaking in plain English just to begin with. So then when we add this complexity of an individual that may have been diagnosed with dementia, um, or maybe they're not even diagnosed yet, but we're kind of picking up on some signs. Are there good communication strategies that are beneficial when we're trying to have that complex conversation with the client? Nice work. Yeah, I think that's one of the most missed and important skill sets to develop. And so there are three ways human beings take in a lot of data in their brain. Um, There's actually five. So I'll go over the five and then give you the three primary. What we see, visual cues, auditory, what we hear, not only the words, but how the words sound to us, the rhythm of language um, and the tone and the frequency intensity of language and sound. Then we have physical um, touch, movement. Um, So the fourth and the fifth are what we smell and what we taste. So one of the things you might notice as an attorney, which will really tune you into something's going on here, is somebody who has body odor or smells of urine or feces or is got really bad breath. And you don't think you remember that happening the last time they were in when they were coming in for advice on their their legal plan. And so you might actually notice one of the first things that might strike you is somebody smells bad. Um, And they didn't. So that's a real clear zing, zing, zing that you want to pay attention to because you don't want to get turned off, but you do want to get tuned in because it means in general, somebody's less attentive to themselves than they ever were before. And they're not noticing it because if they had noticed it, they wouldn't come into a lawyer's office looking that way. Um, That's just what happened. 
So the second, when we go ahead and do that, they might also, uh, just by way of information, they might be eating differently because their taste sensations are changing. And what they're doing is sucking in a whole bunch of glucose. And you may even notice a difference in what they're putting in their coffee. Like they're putting six spoons of sugar in their coffee. Um, They're drinking alcohol rather than drinking water. And so that's a pain reliever, but it's also, um, it also tastes different. And so these are things that like, if you already have a client that you've been working with and you start to notice changes in how they're behaving, or heaven forbid, this is somebody you're working with um, because it isolates itself with elders and it also doesn't ignore the legal profession. Um, so I think sometimes we have in our heads, well, this is somebody else's condition. And the reality is that may not be the case. So those are two sort of just off to the side things that I would say we miss those cues. And yet they can be really powerful cues that tell us, ooh, something's going on here. Right. When it comes to trying to share information, visual cues always trump verbal content. But when you have verbal content, how I say what I say always matters more than the words that come out. So if I were to say to you, well, Rebecca, I'm sorry, I'm trying to help you understand something versus Rebecca, I am so sorry. I was trying to help get you to get something and I don't think that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Which one actually sounded like I was sorry? <laughs> the second. <laughs> what did the first one sound like? Sound like you're angry at me. <laughs> oh, so... Even though I said, I'm sorry, my emotional tone made it through. Right. And so we want to be real thoughtful because what will happen is when we're trying to explain something, if the person isn't getting it, we can sometimes go, well, I'm trying to help you get that you, if you do this, this is really significant. All they hear is you're angry with me and you may get back. Listen, I came in here. If you're not going to do what I want, then forget it. I'm not putting up with this crap. I'll get another lawyer. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, what just happened here? Well, what just happened here more than likely is um, because what's happening is the tone is overriding the content. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we can start to do is get really good at getting visual, add the verbal, Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes think about using touch. So positioning ourselves so that when we're giving information, um, we're positioned in what we call a supportive stance, which means rather than across the desk, we want to make sure our client is, we're on their right side. And the reason we want to be on their right side is that most human beings, about 90% are right side dominant which means the left side of their brain is more skillful than the right side because we're Mm cross-wired, which makes it a little challenging. And it also makes it challenging because that means your left side is sort of closer to the person that you're interacting with. And most people like it, so they're the boss of the interaction. Right. But when I'm in that supportive stance, it allows each of us to look at one another, but also not have to look at one another. So we're placed like at the corner of a table is a great way to do it. And so I say, so Rebecca, tell me a little bit about what you think is going on. Hmm. And you say, well, I think my daughter is doing whatever. This is what I want to do. And I go, okay, so let me make sure I got it. So this 
is you're talking about your daughter and you're concerned about, and what I'm actually showing you while I'm doing it is one, two, three fingers. And if I'm trying to get more than three things or getting more than three things, I need to pause okay. because it turns out that three, three things is probably the most when somebody's starting to struggle mm-hmm. that I want to try to double check on before I move on to anything else. And then what I'll do is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write this down so I don't forget for us to talk about this again. And I make one, two, three notes. Because that then allows you to watch me write stuff down. We came back to it. We've already visited it twice now. That will be our third time of visiting. So I'll say now, Rebecca, so when we're thinking about the future, and you think about where you would rather be, would you rather be near your daughter or near your sister? Mm-hmm. Versus, Rebecca, where would you like to live if you right. if you ever got, so that one is called an open-ended and one is called forced choice. And it turns out for people who are living with dementia, it's much easier for them to select from two alternatives than every option in the world, because I have to go find the vocabulary, Mm -hmm. say the vocabulary, convey the thought, and then figure out what you're saying in response. So it's easier if you say, would you rather live with your daughter or someone else? Mm -hmm. Because that's an either or choice. So learning how to couch things in either or and every time you answer, so I'll let you answer this time. So, Rebecca, if you had to, would you rather live with your daughter or somewhere else? My daughter. <laughs> your daughter. Okay. Yeah, you'd rather be with your daughter. Good. Okay, so now would you rather be in the same house with her or would you just like to be on the property with her? Um, Just the property. Just the property. Okay. So what do you notice I do every time you say something? You're repeating what I'm saying. It's called validation Mm -hmm. to make sure that I heard what you said, but it also makes me pause the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so there's a back and forth pause, back and forth pause, and it gives your brain a chance to make sure that you said what you thought you said, and I heard what you said to me. Mm -hmm. So when I'm going to do something complicated, I need to think ahead. How can I break this down into this or that? And once we pick that, okay, so we're doing that. Am I right? Yep. Okay. Now, so this or that, or tell me more about what's important to you. Is it more important for you to be close to somebody or have control over where you are? Mm -hmm. So learning how to structure the sharing back of a complicated thing in bite-sized pieces and verify or validate that what you think you're getting across, you're getting across. Because if you nod your head and you say, so Rebecca, so you understand what I'm saying, right? So you need to make a decision and you got that that's important. Is that right? You got what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What's, what did you just say? Uh-huh. <laughs> so so I'm getting artificially the idea that you're getting it when all you're doing is called chit chat. 
And that right. happens to be a skill that a lot of people with dementia will keep very late into the disease because what I'm doing with my head is I'm nodding my head and I'm smiling while I'm talking. And that tricks your brain into saying the answer is yes, Tifa, the answer is yes. And so right. you say yes. And I think that means you've agreed with what I've said. You don't even know what I've said. You're just watching me and listening to the rhythm. Yeah. No, I think that that is such good techniques for interviewing someone. And I'm curious too. So what about environmental factors? So are there Uh, things that we can do in our office, you know, to help with that, that communication as well? Absolutely. So one of the things to do is um, a lot of offices now have a lot of glass because Mm -hmm. then you can see what's going on. That's one of the worst things to do with a person living with dementia because it's so distracting to have other things happening. And because visual always trumps verbal, what it means is they will get distracted by a lot of visual stuff. And so we want to minimize what's around and we want to give them a solid background with a, with a selected thing that we want them to notice. So we want to position ourselves and them so that they're not facing an open window that has traffic. Okay. Um, we want to limit how much background noise. If there's music, it needs to go off because it's so distracting to a conversation. We need to limit the amount of clutter on the tabletop. And this is where some people who think a messy desk is the sign of a busy mind. Um, we need to find an interview space that doesn't have stuff everywhere. Because what will happen when people develop dementia is they get so distracted by stuff, especially when we're talking about things that are hard to think about. Mm-hmm. They'll find that they go, oh, you have cats. It's like, uh, yeah, but we're talking about <laughs> what you want done at end of life. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> We may want that person who's doing recording for us really out of sight and out of mind if we need that third party in there. If there is a family member, we want to position the family member across and slightly maybe behind the person living with dementia so that in order for us to talk to the family member, the person living with dementia is still in our visual regard so they don't feel left out. Because what can start to happen is family members can be asking questions and it can distract us from the primary person who needs to be involved. And that's true even if I have somebody in later stage dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the World Health Organization, people living with dementia said, no care about me without me. So if we're going to have conversations about me, I should be involved in it. Unless you guys opt to have a separate conversation, don't leave me sitting there and talk about me while I'm sitting there and you're talking over top of me. And that's one visual cue to remind us that you can't talk about me without me. I can put my hand under yours or on your on your hand and say... I want to ask your daughter a question, Rebecca. Now I'm involving you in that I have physical contact with you while I'm leaning and talking to the daughter, but it's clear you're in this. And I say, so what I hear your daughter saying is this, are you good with that? And give them a thumbs up, thumbs neutral or a thumbs down. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Because what that allows them to do is to get back what you just heard. You're engaging them. And so she goes, well, I didn't say that. Oh, so your daughter's saying that, but that's not what you were thinking. So were you thinking this or something else? Mm -hmm. And so it keeps us out of a courtroom with guardianship more frequently if we can figure this out. Yeah. And that was actually something I wanted to kind of talk about as well is, you know, guardianships and incapacity, something that as elder law attorneys, you know, we're seeing more and more of, Uh, um, unfortunately. And so let's first talk about how to handle you know, interviewing somebody, um, you know, where we're trying to determine whether we need to move forward with an incapacity proceeding. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about ways to avoid, hopefully avoid (laughs) getting into the courtroom in the first place. Um, But maybe you could talk a little bit about that, about, you know, as an attorney, when we're asked to sit down and just kind of make a judgment call on whether we think, I mean, of course, we're going to get the medical evidence as well, but Right. So I think it's incredibly important um, to not just see the person in the office. I think it's really important, particularly if I'm thinking it might be Lewy body disease, to see a person morning and evening, um, because I will see a huge often shift in capacity from morning to night with Lewy body. I can also see that same kind of shift when people are in a home situation versus an unfamiliar situation or a very familiar situation like an office where there's a prescribed role. And so you see me in the office and you think, I think she's good. You see me at home and you go, holy moly, what has happened here? We've got six cats. We've got a mess on our hands. Everything's out on the tabletop. You can't hardly make your way through. Um, because people can present one way and actually in another setting be very different. They're not trying to hide anything. It's just brain capacity is different in different environments. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that we tend to underplay is how important it is to get pictures or video, if you would, lifetime view of what people are capable of when we're making a lifetime plan or planning for future. Um, Where are they really? And what's the trajectory? I mean, what are we looking at here? Um, And who, who seems to have their best interest at heart and who is risky here? And that's where really doing investigation a bit more of tell me a little bit about the history here and who's had issues in what way. Because I think people can present themselves for guardianship thinking they're getting into one thing when, in fact, this is really probably the hardest guardianship anybody could ask to be asked to do Hmm. and do it well. Right, right. Now, other than, I mean, obviously we're interviewing the individual that we think may have capacity issues, but other than interviewing them, who else should we be interviewing? We definitely want to interview primary players in in the world, including spouses. So if I have a spouse, uh, I would encourage to make sure that spouse is somebody who doesn't have their own issues going on. Mm -hmm. Um, It's real easy to miss a second dementia when we've got a primary so heavily weighted in front of us and further into the disease that we're missing the spouse also has early signs of dementia. So we're now giving capacity decisions over to somebody who is starting to struggle on their own. But we think it's stress or distress 
Well, it's not. It's their own dementia. Um, looking at children, looking at primary people who've been in the person's life, we definitely want to look beyond just are they are they okay with their knowledge? Are they actually knowledgeable about that human being and what that person values most? And will they continue to represent that person's interests or will they flip-flop and start representing their own interests? Well, I know mom said that she didn't want um, extraordinary means, but I, I just think that this is the right time. I think we should send her back to the emergency room. I think she needs intensive care. I think we need to do this. When mom said, listen, if I get to this place, this is what I want. Right. But right. now it's going to change everything if they let me go. And they haven't talked about that. So, you know, advanced directives are one of those things. If it is dementia, we, we definitely need to think about not only how I'll die, but how I'll live until I die. And one of the realities is the disease moves toward its later state is things like pneumonias, things like um, weight loss, things like um, debilitating uh, fractures and, and how many times and am I going to have restraints? And, and people don't think about that. And it's like, well, there's chemical restraints and there's physical restraints. If I'm a risk taker my whole life, um, what's going to be more distressing to me to not be able to get up because I'm restrained chemically or physically or to go ahead and fall again because you know I've fallen a lot and and these are not easy questions to answer um but without talking about it we can't even begin to address the concerns and so people get what they don't want Mm -hmm. right well let me ask you a question so there seems to be this common scenario that I have encountered and I've heard others encounter as well where we get a phone call from a family member who says mom and dad or mom or dad have dementia. They've Mm -hmm. gotten to a point where they can't live at home anymore, but they're refusing to leave home. We want to move them into an assisted living facility. They say, if we take them there, they're going to walk out the front door. Um, So we're often faced with this. Okay. They have a power of attorney, but that power of attorney isn't, you know, stripping them of their right to make decisions so they can walk out that front door. So then we're looking at a a protective action of a guardianship. What tips do you have for people in that situation? Yeah. The first is that we need to take a step back and realize, okay, the family has made a line in the sand. And if we do things like that, then what we'll get is pushback. Mm -hmm. And so what we need is a third party to say, so it sounds like you and your kids are really at loggerheads here. Um, they're wanting you to move. You're not wanting to move. Tell me more about that. What about going somewhere is really absolutely not. Tell me where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. And so we need somebody who's curious enough about this refusal because often refusals really revolve around change. And you're Mm -hmm. asking me to do this change. And I feel like you're trying to take over my life. And so, well, what I want us to do I'm not asking you to change, but I want you to go look at these places. And you know what? I actually want you to come and I want us to try something. I think if we don't, we're going to end up in court. So I would much rather us take a look at it. I know you don't want it. I got that. I'm not going to bring your son with us because I think he's going to push. And I want you just to look at these two places and tell me what you don't like about them. Okay. Hmm. 
In other words, giving some control back to that human being that's feeling like they're being stripped of their control. And so they grab the reins and pull back really hard. Mm -hmm. And we think it's an either or. Either we go for guardianship or they're going to get. And it's like, well, let's back up a little bit and get a skilled connector in there Mm -hmm. to see if we can't get it to a different place so we don't end up. Because I will tell you, they will walk out that door and a locked door doesn't keep somebody from getting out. They just get better at getting around it. Right. (laughs) Now, let's just change that fact scenario a little bit, because this happens a lot as well, where you have, let's say, brother, sister and Mm -hmm. brother and sister are disagreeing. So sister says, mom's fine. She can live at home. Brother saying, "Mm, no, I've seen things. I don't think it's safe for her to live at home. And then mom's in the middle. Um, Yeah, so it sounds like you two are in very different places. So sister, I want you to talk to me about what kind of interactions and what makes you say mom's fine. Because I'm wondering about she's fine in what situations? Because I believe that you have seen her be fine in some situations. Tell me what those where you've interacted with her and what kind of things you think she's still fine at brother tell me some things where you've seen mom be different and tell me what concerns what specific things you've seen that are worrying you that she's no longer safe because what I want them to do is through me be able to see they're describing the same woman in different ways and and what we have to do is figure out okay so she's fine when this she's not fine with this I can talk to you on the phone and sound good But when you go over there, you realize she hasn't had breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and she's eating ho-hos. So, yeah, yeah. so it sounds like your brother's worried about your mom's nutritional needs on a daily basis. But you're absolutely right. She can still socially engage. So, you know what? I want us to try something. Right. And we'll do it as a respite. And so all of a sudden, again, the goal, just like with you guys, I think for me is to try to help families hold it together because right now four out of five families come apart with this thing called dementia. And it's the worst condition in the world for families coming apart and starting to fight. And that doesn't serve anyone well in the long run. Well, Tiba, thank you so much. This information has been so valuable, and we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. For our listeners that want to learn more, they want to hear more about what you have to say, your trainings, how can they reach you or find out what your schedule is for speaking engagements? Yeah, on our website, we have the schedule, and we also have all kinds of resources, um, including some to help lawyers understand the different dementias by watching a little video on different dementias. Um, And it's deepasnow.com, or if they want more information, um, it's info at deepasnow.com. Great. Well, thank you all for listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague. Please subscribe on iTunes and find all the past episodes at podcast.elderlawanswers.com. See you next time.